We know the Chinese invented fireworks, but what did Italians contribute to our Fourth of July celebrations? I'm thinking pizza. What are the only two animal species that wage war on their own kind? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of the Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Marcia, the 4th of July always gives me different perspective on life because of our independent celebrations. It's great to reread all the things about how this country began. Uh-huh. We know we celebrate the uh, 4th of July with fireworks. The Chinese invented fireworks. Fireworks, But yeah. what did the Italians contribute to our celebrations. Oh, geez. I don't know. Flags? Uh, what do we, how do we celebrate? We celebrate with food, good food. Italian sausage for the barbecues? I, I haven't a clue. Those are probably all legitimate things to suggest. Yes. But they're not what I'm looking well, for. Well, what, what, okay, <laughs> tell me. Well, the Chinese invented fireworks. The Italians figured out how to color fireworks. Oh, really? Yeah. Just white fireworks before the Italian. Pretty much white or yellow, you know, fire-colored yeah. fireworks. Yeah, that's the prevailing story on the web. It was the Italian chemists in the 1830s who mixed metallic ingredients with fireworks and got brilliant colors. Now, full disclosure, I did find one source on the web that credits the Chinese with colored fireworks in the Uh 1400s, but apparently they weren't known in Europe. Most sources say Italians added the color. In the 1830s, Italian scientists took a chlorinated powder and added strontium for red, barium for green, copper for blue, and sodium for yellow. So they had to take metal powders and create the colors. I wonder if that's why blue is the most expensive, because it's copper. I think it's one of the hardest ones to do. Yeah. They also added potassium chlorate, which made the colors brighter. And the Italians have became... Italians hold a fireworks competition every year in Rome, and teams from all over the world compete to see who can put on the best fireworks show. So the competition lasts six days, two shows every night for three of those days. So the next time you see one of those colorful displays in the sky, you can thank the Italians for adding color to fireworks. I will. I will. I hope you do. Okay, Bob. Some animals, you know, they fight amongst each other over a girl like lions. They'll fight. But there are only two animal species who actually wage war on their own kind. I would think ants, because I've seen that happen with different we, ant colonies. Uh, you you know. have? You've seen that? I've seen that. I've seen yeah. them with their little flags Where and their little <laughs> tanks <laughs> and, their, and their aircraft and Where? the flying ants come in. It's just an amazing thing. Okay. Uh, no, I was always under the impression that ants waged war on each other. Uh, yeah, on their own kind. Absolutely. Yeah, uh-huh. they, have you ever actually seen them wage war on each other? Not really, no. Okay. Is that one of yes. the answers? It is. It's one of the two. And the other one would be flies or bees, monkeys. (laughs) Well, now you're getting closer. It's human beings. No, human beings never fight each other. (laughs) They've never waged war. Isn't that funny how you don't think of human beings as animals? And they are, of course. Animals and ants. Think about it, Bob. Wow. (laughs) That's a pretty good uh, trick question, as you say. Yeah. You're tricking me. Well, it's true. Okay. All right. What do you got? I got some more fireworks things here since we're celebrating. 
So we told you that the Chinese invented fireworks. The Italians are the people who learned how to color them. So guess where America gets most of its fireworks today? Well, don't they still get it from uh, China? Yes, yes. Things have come full circle, yes. (laughs) The United States imports $320 million worth of fireworks a year, and 96% of them, approximately $304 million, come from China. Yeah. 2,000 years, China has been the center of fireworks. And I read they're selling out this year. What are the states that they import the most fireworks? Yeah, what states? One's in the center of the country. Okay, I would say like Montana. No. No? Okay. Uh, Wisconsin. No. Illinois. No. (laughs) Tell me. Okay, Missouri imports the most. Okay. $51 million worth a year. Mississippi was next with 42.3 million. Ohio is the third importing huh, interesting. 30 million. And after that comes South Carolina, Texas, California, and Florida. A lot of it's in warmer states, which is interesting, yeah. right? You didn't think, uh, well, it's hot enough here. Why do we need fireworks? Yeah. But it's a cultural thing, I think. And which state imports the least? Any idea? Hold on, let me think. Uh, Alaska? No. Who? It's one of the New England states where, you know, freedom was. Bounded, Rhode From Island. A, Rhode really? Island, yeah. Oh. They imported just $22,629 worth of fireworks <laughs> in the most recent figures. Okay. All right. It's <laughs> like a grocery bill for, it, you know, a year yeah, for some people. Yeah. You know that human beings, Bob, have a water content of over 60%. We've discussed that before. But can you name the creature with the highest percentage of water in their bodies? Jellyfish. That's right. Isn't it? I assumed it was something under the sea. Yes, it is. They're made up of 95.4% water. That's a lot of water. Despite their name, jellyfish is not a fish. They are an animal with no backbones. In other words, an invertebrate. And it's just sort of a membrane, basically. Well, it's got tentacles. It's got a a brain inside of its... uh, Middle somewhere, I guess. Ooh, and they're so creepy. Whenever, remember we saw a movie the other night and the guy got tangled up with one? Attacked, yeah. Oh, they are vicious, scary. Very, very painful. But anyway, that's the one with the most water content, in case you were wondering. Well, the Independence Day celebration always usually centers around music to a certain extent. So I'm going to ask you two music questions here from the rock days, okay? Okay. This rock group got its name from a pseudonym a false name, that Paul McCartney used to use to check into hotels. What's the group? Their name comes from the name he used. Oh, uh, uh, um. It was a punk group, more of a punk group. Yeah, tell me. The Ramones. Oh, really? Yeah, because Paul Ramon, or Paul Ramon, <laughs> that was an early stage name used by Paul McCartney. Ramon, that's funny. Paul Ramon was the uh, pseudonym he used to check into hotels during the heydays of Beatlemania. Uh, that's funny. All right, here's another one. The Beach Boys considered calling themselves this, thinking the name, the name of a clothing company, might get them some free promotional shirts. Ah, what name sense. did the Beach Boys consider before they settled on their name? Oh, let me see. Back then. Oh, if you didn't know this, you'll laugh at this one. Okay, I do not know it. And I'll just take a stab then. Sporty clothing. I don't know. Were they going to call themselves the Adidas Boys or something? No, that's long before then. Long before then. And it's not necessarily Columbia? sporty clothing oh, either. Oh, no? No. Something uh, Brooks Brothers? Sort of along those lines. Not quite that much. Okay, tell me. The Pendletons. <laughs> and I love Pendleton. <laughs> I know. It's one of your favorite brands. And I thought that was so funny that they thought, well, let's call ourselves the Pendletons. They get free clothes. 
But, you know, it doesn't fit the Beach Boys. I mean, the Beach Boys are on the sea, for God's sake. How yeah, interesting. Those are warm, woolly clothes, not for California yeah. boys. Jeez, <laughs> I, give me a break. I thought that was funny. All right, I got another uh, uh, water question, sea question. Okay. Uh, when the codfish, we like cod, don't mm-hmm. we, lays its eggs, Bob, usually about five of them survive to birth. So how many do you think the female cod uh, lays? How many? Yeah. Like I said, <sighs> give me a ballpark on how many do you think she lays to get five little swimmers? Uh, usually it's like thousands. Yeah. And then you have a, you know, a, a few of them survive and then that's it. Mm. So I don't know, I'll say a thousand? Yeah, it did. thousand it's, eggs? Yeah, that's what I would, I would have said. Well, here's why I put that in there. Because cod lay between four and five million eggs at a time. Oh, my goodness. If all the eggs spawned by all the female cod in one season survived, they would fill the oceans from seabed to surface. Wow. That's how <laughs> amazing. The seabed from seabed to surface. Seabed to surface. Does that mean from the bottom of the ocean yeah. to the top? Oh my goodness. Uh yeah. If they all if they all survived. So 5 out of 5 million. <laughs> 5 million every time that they lay eggs. Yeah. Or produce eggs. Yeah. And only wow. 5 survive. I have no idea how that happens that how those 5 survived. I don't either. One of those mysteries of nature. Oh, you want another one? Okay. How many houses would one giant sequoia or redwood build? Oh, that's a good one. Those are huge trees. Um, how many? How many houses? Well, is it a handful or is it something like twenty or thirty? I'll say twenty. Mm. The tree can grow to you know three hundred feet in height and can be twenty five feet in diameter. And the answer is they can build the average giant redwood can build about sixty average size houses. My goodness, sixty houses. All wood houses too, right? That probably is well, the framing yeah, as yeah, well as the. Yeah. That's amazing. Sixty houses. Well, that's why they were very uh, uh, cut sought down after. like crazy in yeah, the and beginning. Cut out like crazy. You're right. You're right. I've got uh, some fun fireworks facts. <laughs> From popular mechanics of all places. Okay. Yeah, a few years back, they did a a story on this. So when was the first firecracker? They take it back to 200 B.C. Really? When bamboo thrown on a fire in China exploded as the air expanded inside the reeds and rudimentary gunpowder and firecrackers were born. People used the original firecrackers to scare away evil spirits. Makes sense. And then about 800 years later, in 600 to 900 AD, in the Song Dynasty, fireworks were exploded at many festivals, and common people could purchase fireworks from market vendors that long ago. Wow. Over a thousand years ago. And next, Chinese began making weapons from powerful fireworks, packing powder, rocks, and metal into containers. They made bombs. That was kind of the beginning of real modern warfare. From celebration to destruction. Yeah. Hey, we could use this to enjoy, to scare, or to kill. Yeah. Good times. Oh, geez. (laughs) All right. This is a question for Bob Smith. All right. You like uh, company history. Okay. Before the Korean War, what was the electronics giant Samsung? Known for before the Korean War, yeah, yeah, it's, it is fascinating. All these companies did different things. Were they fishing company, a fisherman fishing company, or something like that? Well, they they were known for selling dry fish and noodles. <laughs> Samsung founder, oh gosh, Lee Bong Chul started his trading company with twenty seven dollars cash in nineteen thirty eight. 
and he began diversifying his offerings until 1960, when he began selling electronics. Wow. Now, notice it's a trading company. Remember, yeah. we did a thing on the Shell Oil mm-hmm. Company began yeah, as a trading shells, company. And these guys did noodles and fish. They sold it. <laughs> that's amazing. Like a grocery store. And that's how Samsung started. And that He had the same name in $27. And well, from that to what he is today, amazing. During the Great Depression, which hit Japan yeah. and Korea as well, 38? 1938, correct. Amazing. Yeah, one of the biggest electronics companies today. Well, we have Samsung phones. You and I have Samsung phones. And with phones. TV? What Samsung, else? We have Samsung underwear. No, 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 we don't have that. Okay, well, continuing with our firecracker or fireworks theme, I have some more Independence Day kind of questions here. How did fireworks get to Europe? We know they started in China. So well, how did they not- get to Europe? Where did they come from? Who brought them back? Or who brought them to Europe? Who brought them to Europe? 1295 was the year. Marco Polo. Marco Polo. Marco Marco Polo Polo. was a great explorer. He returned from China, bringing with him porcelain, jewels, spices, and fireworks. Brought them all back to Italy. And then what founding father suggested we use fireworks to celebrate the 4th of of July? July. Well, uh, Well, doesn't sound like George. Let's go with Tom Jefferson. No, it was John Adams. Adams. Yes. And uh, he actually suggested, I think it was July 2nd, I forget what the date was, that was the first day things were signed, but the 4th was when the document came back with almost everybody's signature starting on the 4th, so that's where they settled on the 4th of July. See, now John uh, seems more, uh, he was more stoic and subdued than those guys. That's amazing. Yeah, because he has kind of a reputation as being Being, irritated Remember remember how he hated Paris? Too much going on there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Now this you've probably been wondering a lot. Okay. Since we've been working out in the garden. You know what a slug is, don't you? Are you talking about me again? You called me that the other day. <laughs> I did not. So, you <laughs> yes, know, I know it's what a slug is. Yes. ugly little things in the ground that mm-hmm. do things. I'll bet you're wondering, how many teeth does the average slug have? You know, I've been wondering, how many teeth does the average slug have? I have the answer. Okay. You want to take a guess first? I'll bet it's huge. It's like those, uh, remember we did the thing on the grub bugs that uh, inspired the chainsaws? Remember that? Oh, yes, that was interesting. Yes. So I will say that the slug probably has... Uh, 95 teeth. Well, this will surprise and amaze and amuse you. Okay. <laughs> 27,000. Holy cow, 27,000 yeah, teeth? to help them eat their food. I mean, how tiny must they be, their little wow. teeth? And who counted them? Yeah, that's okay. the question. <laughs> These charming creatures travel at .007 miles per hour, and they can stretch to 11 times their length. Hmm. They're basically a snail without shells. So just something to think about tonight when you're trying to get to sleep. (laughs) So they can go 11 times their normal length? Well, what's their normal length of a slug? In North America, slugs can average up to 10 inches long. Wow, so 11 times that. Yeah, that would be 110 inches. Wow. That's a long slug. Well, God, can, I would faint if I pulled that out of the garden. <laughs> That's twice the, almost twice the distance from pitcher's mound to batter's box. That's amazing. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's a long slug. Oh, that's, yeah. What is this, Marsha? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Slimy thing, it's so long. Oh. Marsha's animal questions. Got a million of them. Yeah, apparently. All right, let's take a break. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. 
Okay, back on the off-ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith, Trivia. And, uh, Marcia, I'm going to give you one more question, or well, a couple more, actually. <laughs> on 4th of on, July. On 4th of July, okay. Independence Day, fireworks, okay. okay? Okay. So here in the United States, the last fireworks display in an Independence Day celebration is often the American flag or something yes. like that, right? right? Fireworks that look like an American flag. What was the end of the first fireworks on Independence Day, 1777? What was what, what? What did they first Independence Day celebration in 1777? So it wasn't the flag; it was some no. other symbol. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me think. Back then, golly, what would it be? What would it be? Uh, it's symbolic. It yeah. represents something that would be was considered something I- like independence. What, was it something like our our military hat or? Uh, no. You know what the answer is? No. Thirteen rockets. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, the first Independence Day celebration in Philadelphia in 1777 began and ended with 13 rockets, one for each American colony. Yeah. So that was the that's nice. significance. That's yes. That probably is the tradition that led us to doing the flag at the end. And here's, yeah. a, here's an eyewitness description of what that day was like from the Virginia Gazette. The evening was closed with the ringing of bells, and at night there was a grand exhibition of fireworks which began and concluded with 13 rockets on the commons, and the city was beautifully illuminated. Everything was conducted with the greatest order and decorum, and the face of joy and gladness was universal. Thus may the 4th of July, that glorious and ever-memorable day, be celebrated through America by the sons of freedom from age to age till time shall be no more. It's from the Virginia Gazette of July 18th, 1777. Very poetic. I don't know if it's the same, but there is a Virginia Gazette that's still publishing. It's online today. Okay. 140 plus years I'll later. I'll bet it is. Yeah. Okay, Bob, we have grandcats, don't we? Yes, we do. We have, uh, what, four grandcats? Four grandcats, two children, four grandcats. Okay, so here's an interesting factoid, and it's a study that shows that if a cat falls off the seventh floor of a building, mm-hmm. it has about a 30% less chance of surviving than if it fell off a 20-story building. Really? What? Say what? <laughs> Say, why, Bob? Why? Why, Bob? Why? Yeah. Off the seven-story building, they have what chance? to? 30% less chance than, than if they fell off a 20-story building. Well, they didn't have enough time to land on their feet. Well, that's not too far off, Oh, is buddy. that right? Yes. I mean, they were flipping and they just didn't have enough time to... It, apparently, it takes a cat about eight floors to realize exactly what's happening, and then it relaxes and autocorrects. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. It corrects and how it lands and everything. Imagine that. Well, what was the study to do that? We dropped 25 <laughs> cats off <laughs> of, of buildings. Story. I know. Isn't that bizarre? It is. It's weird. Yep, but they want, it takes them a while to say, oh, well, this isn't good. I'm falling. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do something about that. So keep that in mind. Okay, I've got a question for you. Not football season, but I got a football question. All right. Okay. What famous food packaging did Cornell University's red and white football uniforms inspire? Red and white. Very, they were very striking red and white football uniforms, and they inspired food packaging of a famous company Mm. that still uses it today. Mm. Mm, Gosh, I'm just drawing a blank. Wonder Bread is what? Not red and white, is it? That's a bunch of different colors, actually. Yeah. Um, Specifically, I can't think. Tell me. 
Campbell's Soup. Oh, really? Yeah, they introduced soup in a can in 1897, a can with orange and blue labels. But a year later, Campbell executive Herberton Williams was attending a Cornell University football game, and he was so impressed by their bold red and white uniforms, he convinced Campbell's to adopt those colors, too. Now, there's one more thing on the soup can today. You remember that little medallion in the middle of the can? Yeah. Okay, where does that come from? In 1900, Campbell's Soup won a gold medal at the 1900 Paris Exposition. Oh, that's the medal? Yeah, it was a World's Fair medal. Wow. So that was incorporated into the company's logo along with the red and white colors from Cornell University. Just a kind of fun food fact. Talk about milk and your award, huh? Just, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> we're mil- souping your award. We got this soup award uh-huh. 125 years ago. Let's just put it on every can. Shows the quality. Well, it All does. Right. What's Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer? That yeah, was... that's 18-something. Yeah, exactly. 46. Same kind of thing. All right. Gold medal flower. Those yeah, were all, all awards they won, those companies hundreds won. Hundreds of years ago. Well, not hundreds, but well, at least 1800. Well, 1800s. Yeah. All right. Want to guess, Bob, how much in pounds, how much space dust and other debris falls on the earth every day? Wow. Pounds every, of space every, debris falls? Every day. This and is probably Mostly even, dust. has nothing to do with satellites crashing. Chinese no. satellites crashing to the earth. Hmm. This is uh, mostly space stuff. Is it in hundreds of pounds? Maybe. Thousands of pounds? Maybe. Okay, I don't know. Let's let's say let's say a, a ton. So that's oh, very over, good. All over the earth in one day. Yeah. It's a ton of space dust. Yes. It is about 2000 pounds according to scientists. Oh. Every day or in an average year 40,000 metric tons. So, so 2000 pounds of space debris. Mostly dust. Mostly dust in a day. Yeah. Hits the earth. Yeah. Can I do a fun one here? Okay. While in office, who did President Nixon and wife Pat try to match make with their daughter, Trisha? They tried to match Trisha with somebody. Yeah. A famous person? Yeah. Uh, would it be a famous musician? Nope. Okay. I'm going to give you some categories. Okay. Athlete? No. Scientist? No. Another politician? No. Author? <laughs> no. Actor? No. Okay, who? (laughs) 23-year-old Prince Charles. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he was to be quite a catch, uh, that Nixon's thought. And they would deliberately leave Charlie and Trish alone in rooms together at the White House so they could get better acquainted. And it didn't work. (laughs) Didn't work. One of them was not too thrilled with the other one. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, they thought that would be a good match. Royalty and the Nixons. Well, of course. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that Every was parent wants, you little know. little vanity there. That makes sense. It's funny. I thought that was amusing. Okay. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we did a thing and you told me what the, uh, you asked me what the six official languages of the United Nations were. Remember yes, that? Yes, I did and I gotcha. Yes. Now I'm going to ask you about the most spoken languages in the world. I've got a list of 20 of them. What's number one and how many people speak it? Well, say that last part again. What's number one of the 20 most spoken languages in the world and how many people speak it? What's number one? Yes, the language. Ah, uh, geez. Well, it's not English. Yes, it is. It's English. Okay, you got it right, Marsh. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yes, English. 1.35 billion people speak English. Can speak English. In this world. Yeah. yeah. What's the second language? Second most popular language, most spoken language in the world. I'll we just spoke about them at the beginning of the show. 
At the beginning of the show, we mentioned that. Chinese. Oh, I we... thought you were going to say Italian. Yes, you're right. <laughs> it is Chinese. Well, they're Chinese-Italians. It's Mandarin Chinese, and 1.12 billion people speak Chinese. Yeah. Now, in the language itself, it's known as Putonghua. What does that mean? Common speech. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And Mandarin actually comes from a Portuguese word, Mandarin, which Portuguese explorers used to describe Chinese officials in the 16th century. So we got English, Chinese, Mandarin, Chinese. What's the third and fourth most... You're killing me here, Bob. You're killing me. Most spoken languages in the world. uh, Japanese and Russian. Hindi. Hindi, yes. Yes. So think of India. Think of these big continents. Yes, yes. And then Spanish. Hindi, 600 million people speak Hindi. Oh, and then Spain Hindi. and Mexico. Spain, 543. And yeah. then the fifth language is Standard Arabic, and 274 million people. Uh-huh. What's the distinct difference Arabic has over all those other six languages, United Nations languages? I don't know. It's the only one written from right to left. All the other languages oh. are written from left to right. Really? Yeah. Isn't that curious? Yeah. Huh. Okay, before I finish up here with amusing last words, we always love that category, remember that? Let me just ask one more question. What was a major communication advantage the Allies had over the Japanese in World War II? Well, I know there was one communication advantage, which was Navajo. That's it. It's the Navajo language. That's it. They couldn't crack it. Because that was used as a code by Americans to keep the Japanese from listening in and knowing what we were doing. That's right. The Navajos came through 100%, and uh, nobody knew the Navajo language. So that was the, the whoever thought of that. I never did figure out who thought of doing that. Was that and, a great thing? Yes. And uh, we cracked the uh, Japanese coded messages. Uh, early in the war. Very early. Yeah. And apparently they never figured it out. Right. Before you get to your famous last word, I have what country with the biggest New Year's Eve fireworks in world history? Germany. No, the United Arab Emirates, a 2,200-pound fireworks. Good Lord. They launched it from a 15,000-pound mortar cannon. So it's quite a big <laughs> quite a big thing. That's considered the m- biggest explosive of uh, fireworks in the history I'll of the be, world. I'll be darned. Okay. And you have some closing remarks. I do. From famous last words from famous people. That was a great game of golf. That was Bing Crosby, wasn't that's it? That's it. Good yeah, for that's, you. I think he said that was a great game of golf, fellas, and then he dropped dead on the did golf we, course. Uh, did we never use that before? We may have mentioned it before. I I remember when Bing Crosby died, and that was how it ended. Yes. Yeah. And Dorothy Parker. Oh, one the of famous the, Dorothy Parker. The, clever, one of the great clever writers. writers. Her last words were, "Excuse my dust." This is sad. This is from Leonardo da Vinci. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. There's a perfectionist. Oh, my God. To think that about yourself. He did probably more than uh, almost any human being I can think of. And this, going back to royalty, Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli asked if he wanted to see Queen Victoria on his deathbed. And he said, better not. She would only ask me to take a message to Albert. (laughs) Her (laughs) husband. (laughs) This is a British prime minister, of course. Yes. Back in that day. Yes. That's so funny. And she was a fanatic after Albert died about him. And uh, she... (laughs) It's funny. I saw a a query on a a website the other day saying, um, was... uh, Queen Victoria, fascinated by sex or something, you know? And the answer was, well, she had a lot of children. (laughs) 
She loved Albert to pieces. They did, apparently have a great love. Uh, yes. Quite, quite fascinating. And for one that was arranged, uh, they lucked out. Yeah. They loved each other dearly. Well, that's it for today. Pardon our dust. Hope you've enjoyed our show. <laughs> not and, yet, uh, Bob. I'm huh? not ready to be oh, dust. Oh, not that. Okay. Okay. We want to remind you that if you'd like to send us a question for us to stump the other person with, you can go to our website, theofframp.show, and go to... Contact us. And then give us the question, the answer, where you got it, and uh, where you're from. Okay. <laughs> Say goodnight, Gracie. So that's it for today. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more trivia on The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.